assembled uh, in the Lord's house. I trust that we've come with our hearts and our minds uh, prepared to sing and to worship the great God and King that we serve and also to hear his word, uh, to grow in our understanding of his word and to be enlightened and encouraged by his word. This morning we're going to turn in our testaments to the book of Matthew chapter 17. Matthew 17, and we're going to read the first eight verses. This is the word of the Lord according to Matthew. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. And he was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him Moses and Elias talking with him. Then Peter, then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, God, Master of heaven and earth, God, we have come unto your house, the house that we trust is of your presence, that you are here and you walk among us. Father, we come to praise your name, to sing the songs of Zion's Hill, uh, to worship you with songs of praise, songs of thanksgiving. Lord, as we are grateful for all that you have done for us and in us. God, you are so amazing. God, you are full of truth and verity. You are full of goodness. And the grace that we have received at your hand has been much. God, we confess this morning that we are unworthy sinners. That we are unworthy of the least of thy mercies. That we are unworthy of the smiles of your face. That we are unworthy of the daily blessings and benefits that you constantly supply. We are unworthy of so great a salvation. But Lord, in your grace, you have given us all these things. God, we ask this morning that you would forgive us of our sinfulness. Forgive us of our pride. Forgive us of the sins that abide in our tongue as we are so prone to speak foolishness and to backbite and to speak words of anger and full of bitterness. 
God, there's just so much within us that is unrighteous. And Lord, we need your grace and your forgiveness. Remember that we are but dust. God, we pray now as we come to the portion of this service where we exalt and honor thy word. God, I pray that you would be with us, that you would ignite a fire of revival in our souls, that you will heal us of our spiritual blindness that the world has often encased our eyes in. God, allow us through grace to see, to behold with wonder and amazement the glories of your word and of your son, Jesus Christ. Grant us fresh views of our Savior. May we see his arms stretch wide. May we see his thorn-pierced brow as it is stained with the blood of redemption. Father, may we hear his doleful cries from the cross. And may it touch our hearts. May it bring us closer to you. May it fill us with a spirit of worship. Lord, if we are going to be touched by your word to the moving of our souls, it is only going to happen if you be with us. God, I pray that you would allow me this morning to preach with power, demonstration of your Holy Spirit. May it not stand in man's foolish wisdom, but may it stand in truth. And may you sanctify my tongue and my lips, and may they speak forth the glories of all that is found in thy word. God, and when I speak, may men truly hear you, feel you, know you, grow in their understanding of you. May you be magnified, may you be exalted, may you be glorified in our midst. For that is why we're here. We're here to glorify you. We're here to glorify you now. And, and in, the, in the week that is to come, may these words uh, resonate with us throughout the week. And may, we, uh, may it go on into rich supply. God, we need our lives changed. All glory to you this morning. We humbly beg these things in the name of of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and amen. In Matthew chapter 17, we find the account, as we've already read this morning, of what is known as the transfiguration. That moment when Christ was on the mountain. 
And it's truly a miraculous event. It's truly uh, one of those key marks in the life of Christ. Because this is the moment when with Peter and James and John, as Christ was in the moment of prayer, alone on that mountain, when these three disciples, that his Godship, his Godhood, his deity began to resonate through his body. Christ was God manifest in the flesh. It says that he took on flesh, that he was encased in human flesh. But on this mountain, in the state of prayer, it says that his, his raiment began to shine, his face began to shine, and this was his glory. This was his Godship. This was God in him manifesting himself to the disciples that were there. He began to shine. You remember the story of Moses on Mount Sinai? And, and Moses said, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, no man can see my face and live. But what I'll do, Moses, is I will take you and I will place you in the cave, in the cleft of the rock, and there I will cover you with my hand, and I will pass by, and I'll remove my hand, and you can see my glory from the backside. This is the afterglow. This is, that's, that's what Moses saw was simply the afterglow of the mighty God passing by that particular spot. He just saw the afterglow. I kind of get this image in my mind of, of these uh, Disney fairy tales, you know, where, where the uh, fairy godmother or, or the fairies pass by and you see the little things that drop by. Uh, Tinkerbell, as, as she flies around, she has the, the, the little glowing dust that falls off. That's kind of how I imagine it. I kind of imagine God passing by and there's this, this stream of glowing uh, glory that just resonates from where he had been. And Moses sees that. And he comes down off the mountain. And just from the glimpse of the afterglow of God, his face was shining so that they had to put a bag over his face just so they could stand to be around him. God is truly glorious. And here in this moment, Jesus is showing the glory of God that is encased in his human flesh. They are seeing God shining through as Jesus is shining before them. And his clothes become, as Luke said, I believe it was Luke that says, glistering. They begin to sparkle. As the light kind of twinkled. You kind of you get this image of the twinkling stars and how it was just a glory and a sight to behold. And he's there, and his, his visage has changed. His, how he is transfigured. The word transfigured means, uh, trans means to change 
and figure is how we appear. So his, his appearance was changed. And, and then, to top it all off, there appears with him two men that are no longer alive. Moses has been dead for ages. Elijah, you remember the story of Elijah. Elijah's there and he takes his, his, uh, his apprentice, if you will, over the brook Jordan. And you remember the waters part. And Elijah is all of a sudden taken up with a chariot and horses of fire. He is literally lifted off the ground. He gets a, a ride to heaven on a chariot of fire. How amazing is that? That's always a, a story that's captivated my mind. So Moses and Elijah are there in the mountain, two men that are no longer here, but they appear at this moment when God is shining through the body of Christ and they are communing with Christ the Savior. And you can imagine the wonder and the amazement that these three men felt. Peter exclaims, Lord, it is good for us to be here. Amen, brother Peter. It's good for you to be there. It's good for you to see that. I can't imagine a time in the life of Christ that I would like to see uh, possibly more. Uh, maybe the crucifixion, maybe to, to experience that. But, but this is a moment of glory. When you see the God of the universe shining through human flesh. It is good for us to be here. They are standing there in utter amazement as Christ is showing who he really is. Peter gets a little bit carried away and he says it's, it's good for us to be here. If it is well pleased with you, if it's all right with you, let's, let's set up some tents. Let's not go anywhere. Let's set up some tents and we'll make a tent for you and we'll make a tent for Moses and we'll make a tent for Elijah and just everybody can come up here and they can talk to you and to Moses and Elijah and all of a sudden they are engulfed in a bright cloud. The cloud kind of overwhelms them. It's kind of like entering into a fog, yet this thing's shining. It's bright. And it's something we can't imagine because most of the time clouds are dark, right? But this is like a mini sun contained in a cloud and, and engulfs them and they're just surrounded by light. And they hear the voice of God from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. What a moment. What a moment. Of course, they were afraid. They fell on their face. And Jesus came and touched them. You imagine them bowed down on the ground. They're shaking in their boots, so to speak. And Jesus so kindly and so gently comes over and he places his hands on them. And says, arise, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. 
Don't let fear captivate you. No doubt they were afraid that God had spoken. This had uh, created some, some things within them where, where they felt their own guilt, no doubt. I mean, they're in the presence of God. The light is shining around them. The voice is booming around them. And, and they feel and know they're in the presence of God Almighty. They fall on their face and they're afraid because they know they're guilty sinners in the presence of a holy God. That's why they're afraid. They're afraid because they know that God is just. They know that God is holy. They know that God is powerful. They know that they deserve his wrath. And they fall on their face in terror. And Jesus says, arise. Be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man. Save Jesus only. I want to preach to you this morning on that phrase. No man save Jesus only. If I was going to title this message, it would be entitled, When Faith Sees Jesus, or A Faith That Sees Jesus Only. I submit to you this morning that the glory of this moment and the powerful message that it conveys is not just in the shining forth of the deity of Christ. I submit that it's not simply in the appearance of, of Moses and Elijah with him. It's not in the booming voice. It's not in the shining cloud. It's not in these things. Those things add to the, the glory of the moment. But I submit to you that the ultimate glory of the moment is when the disciples had a moment where Christ came directly to them and spoke peace to their souls. He asked them to not be afraid, to, to be at peace. And that moment when they saw Jesus alone. When they saw Christ all by himself, that was the glory of the moment. And it conveys unto us the most powerful message in all of Scripture. The most powerful message in all of Scripture is seeing Christ alone and all the implications that that has for us as his children. The great peace that that gives to our soul when we see Christ alone. And faith can only be satisfied. It can only be satisfied. It can be only come to, to rest and peace when it sees Christ alone.
This was a mountaintop experience in the life of these three men. We've heard of going through the valleys. Going through the valleys. Going through the valley of Becca. The valley of tears. We've all had those moments where we've gone through the dark, dismal, frightening valleys of life. Where sadness overwhelms us. Where we pour forth a flood of tears. We don't like those moments. We like the mountaintop moments. You know, in, the, in Scripture, if you notice that people, and especially the pagans, would build things to their gods on mountains. You realize the understanding of that. You look at Mount Olympus. Mount Olympus is where uh, the Greeks had built a temple to their god. Zeus, Poseidon, and all those were honored there. And the idea is this, that God dwells in the heavens in an exalted place, and we go to these mountains to be close to God. And there is something to that. Jesus would often resort to the mountaintop. There to pray to his God. And that's what he's doing here. Luke tells us that he's there praying to God. And this mountaintop experience which resulted in them beholding Christ alone happened on a mountain. Where they had come apart to be close to God. Our eye of faith can only behold Christ alone. This is the first thing I want you to understand. It can only behold Christ alone when we come apart alone. The clearest visions of faith, the clearest visions of Christ happen when we are by ourselves in an attempt to draw close to God. That's when they happen. That's when you are surrounded with the voice of God, mighty and powerful. That's when it seems as though you are encased in a bright and shining cloud of light. That's when you see Christ and Christ alone is when you come apart. And we need to see Jesus only. To see Christ alone. So many today have tried to add to him They tried to add different things to him. But the glory is to see Christ alone.
we see here that he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light. His clothes changed form. His face began to shine. It showed forth his deity. But what did that moment speak to us? What does it convey to us? The color white is an emblem of moral purity. It's an emblem of moral purity. Black is a, a, a symbol or emblem of sin, of corruption. We are black. In order for a sacrifice to be appropriate, Numbers chapter 28, when they were worshiping in the wilderness, God gave them a very specific law concerning the offerings that they were to offer unto God. And in Numbers chapter 28 and in verse 3 says, And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire which ye shall offer unto the Lord, two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day for a continual burnt offering. That phrase, without spot, is very significant because a spot is an indication of sin. It's a symbol of sin. And there can be no sacrifice for sin if the offerer, the thing offered, is marred by sin. The only appropriate substitute is something that is free for sin, something that is innocent, something that is guiltless. And a lamb without spot stood, one that was entirely white, head to toe, entirely white, was a symbol of a, right, uh, a morally upright, righteously pure sacrifice something that has done nothing wrong that could atone or be a substitute for someone that has done something wrong. When Christ was on the mountain, it was the moment where he showed forth that he was qualified for the task at hand. In Leviticus chapter 16, in verse 21, we have where the scapegoat is found in their worship, where the sins would be confessed over the hand, over the head of the scapegoat. And they would take it, it says in verse 21, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head 
of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in, in all their sin, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send them away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. A fit man, not a weak man, but a man that is capable of taking them the distance. A man that is capable of going the distance so that that goat will never return. In Matthew chapter 17, what we find here is God shining forth in the body of Christ and showing that He and He alone is qualified and fit and capable of taking the sins of all of God's people away. He was morally pure. He was morally upright. He was able because he was God veiled in flesh of taking our sins as far as the east is from the west. Christ was qualified. We need to see that Christ and Christ alone, Jesus only, is qualified to meet the payment for our sins. That all the qualifications, listen to me dear children because this is very important, that all the qualifications that God required for our salvation was met in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. All the qualifications necessary for our salvation were met totally and finally and fully in Jesus Christ only. Him alone. That means that there is no qualification left for you. That there is no qualification left for anyone else. And when faith sees this, when faith lays hold of Christ and Christ alone, we can arise and be not afraid. We can arise and be not afraid. Christ was qualified. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and in verse 26, says, For such an high priest became us, became fitted like us. Who is? This is your Savior. This is Christ. These are the qualifications that he met. Holy. Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. He was separate from sinners. He was not marred by the original sin of Adam. He was not marred by his own personal sin because he had none. Christ could not sin. He did not sin. He was qualified to take our sins upon himself and Christ alone. This is the heart 
of the gospel. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 19, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Christ was the lamb without blemish and without spot. And so we need to see through the eye of faith that Christ and Christ alone met the qualifications. <clears throat> Next we find that Moses and Elijah appeared with him. Moses is representative of the law service. You remember on Mount Sinai that God gave the law directly to Moses. He engraved it into the two tables of stone with his very finger and inscribed it there. And it was a ministration of death. The soul that sinneth under that covenant, it shall die. And so under that, it says that Christ delivered us who through fear of bondage were all who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. What does that mean? Through fear of death. Those under the old Mosaic covenant were afraid of sinning lest they be put to death. Because that's what the sinner deserves is death. And so because of that, they were all their lifetime subject to the bondage of, of fear and guilt. The law of Moses was righteous and holy. But it was given to a bunch of people who were not. <laughs> and there lies the problem. God gave a holy, righteous law unto an unrighteous, sinful people. And that holy and righteous law did nothing but condemn the sinful and righteous people. It exposed them as sinners. Elijah represents the prophets. Those noble prophets who gave prophecy after prophecy after prophecy concerning Jesus. When the disciples... When the disciples lifted up their heads and they beheld Jesus only, this is the message it conveyed. The message that it conveyed was that Christ had come and was qualified to fulfill the law on our behalf, that he had fulfilled it to a jot and to a tittle. Jesus would say that 
Heaven and earth would be removed before one jot or one tittle would in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. He did not say in that passage that it would take till the end of the earth for all the law to be fulfilled. He just said that heaven and earth would not pass until it was fulfilled. Until Christ fulfilled the law. The law was not going to pass away until Christ fulfilled it. It needed to be fulfilled on our behalf, else it would stand in an authoritative measure over our life. Christ fulfilled the law. Not only did he fulfill the law, but what else did he fulfill? Remember, Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the prophets. So if he fulfilled the law, what else did he fulfill? The prophets, right? All the prophecies concerning Christ were fulfilled by Christ. This is a powerful message. You remember over in Matthew chapter 3 and in verse 15, Jesus speaking to John the Baptist. It says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now. For thus it becometh us. It is fitting for us. That's what the word becometh means. It is fitting or it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. What is he talking about? That which is right. That's what righteousness is. It is fitting for us. This is our purpose to do that which is right. It was John the Baptist's purpose to baptize Jesus. And to prepare the way. It was Christ's purpose to fulfill the righteousness of the law and the rightness of the prophecies. And thus he did. <clears throat> Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 and verse 4. He says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, Christ has become the end of the law. He has taken it away. Let's read in Colossians chapter, because uh, I want to explain this so that you understand this more fully. Colossians chapter 2 and in verse 13, he says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven. Past tense. So at the moment of regeneration, your sins have already been forgiven. That's important that you get the order. You being dead in your sin, and remember, you can do nothing while you're dead in sin. You being dead in your sin and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven, past tense, all you, you all trespasses. You've been forgiven of your sins. Listen to this, verse 14. 
blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. What was the handwriting of ordinances that was against us? What handwriting is he talking about? He's talking about the handwriting of God in Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments. Those that say we're still under the moral law. Paul disagrees. <laughs> Paul says that Christ blotted out the Ten Commandments and the moral law when he died for us on the cross. Listen to this. Which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Christ fulfilled the law. And when he did that, all those laws that were against us were nailed to his cross and they are no longer in effect to us. They no longer condemn us. You understand that? They cannot give the cry, guilty, guilty of sin, guilty of death, worthy of death. Because the debt's been paid. The debt's been paid already. It's not waiting to be paid. If you meet some qualification, it's been paid. So Christ is the end of the law to them that, be that believe. In other words, when you see Jesus as the end of the law in your life, and Him only, when you see Christ as qualified for the mission that God had given Him to do, and you see Him as accomplishing and finishing that mission on your behalf, you see Him as the end of the law for you. And when you see that, the law has no more terror in your life. We need to see Christ as the only one fit and the only one capable, as the end of the law, as the end of the prophets. And we need to see Christ only in the work of salvation. Very quickly, I want to speed through some verses of Scripture which talk about Christ only. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 2, verse 5. He says, There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. This morning, I ask you a question. When you look, do you see Jesus and Jesus only as the mediator between God and man, or do you see others with Christ? Do you see others? What is a mediator? A mediator is a man that brings together two opposing parties. That's what a mediator is. Our sins had separated us from God. And so we need a mediator. Job would say I, that there is no daysman betwixt us. There's no man that can lay his hand on both and bring us together. And that's what Job was craving, was a man that could bring Job and God together in peace again. 
We need a mediator. So I ask you this morning, do you see Christ as the only sole mediator or do you see other men with him also? What do I mean by that? Do you need a preacher in order to get you saved? Does it require a preacher to preach the gospel in order to save you and to save those in this world? Does it require somebody telling you of the precious blood of Jesus being spilt and, and shed on our account in order to bring us to God? Does it require that? No. Because if it did, Christ is not the only mediator. You understand that? If it requires someone telling us that we're sinners in need of salvation and that we must believe in Jesus in order to be saved, you no longer have just one mediator between God and man. You have two mediators. You have the mediator that brings you to Christ and Christ that brings you to God. But Paul says there's one mediator. I'm here to tell you this morning that when your eyes see that Jesus did not make it possible for you to get saved, but that he actually saved you, you see Jesus only. You see Jesus only. You don't see Moses. What do I got to do to be saved? What do I got to do? That's Moses. Moses has faded away. We don't come to salvation under our own efforts and works. Christ graciously saved us 2,000 years ago on the cross. And it's a done deal. Listen to Hebrews chapter 1. I love this. Verse 3, speaking of Christ, who being in the brightness of His glory and the expressed image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had by Himself purged our sin, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on the How did Christ save us? Did Christ need some, some help? Does, does Christ need your help in order to purge sins away? Does, does Christ make it possible where you can come take a bath and wash your sins away? Christ by himself washed your sins away. Your sins are gone. Your sins are no more. Christ washed them away and there is nothing left for the law to find to condemn us. The law has nothing in your life to condemn, condemn you. Because Christ has made you free. Listen to this. Titus chapter 3 verse 4. But after that the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. The love of God appeared to us. In the image, the singular image of Jesus Christ. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done. We don't do things to get saved. We don't do things to have our sins washed away. That is a lie to put you in fear. 
people say, what do I need to do in order to go to heaven? Nothing. That's my answer. Nothing. Well, this church over here tells me that I've got to believe in Jesus. No. You believe in Jesus because he's the one that took you to heaven. That's why we, that's why we, we are saved. We're not saved because we believe. We're saved because Christ died for us. And we believe that to gain peace and to not be afraid. Sin and the law bring torment. Not by the works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. Past tense. That's a work that's already been completed. It's not something that you've got to cooperate with God in order to, be, to, to, to have done. <clears throat> by His mercy, He saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through your belief, through your works, through listening to a preacher. Is that what the text said? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is our Savior. He's our Savior. He's not your Savior. Uh, the, 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 the world will say, if you just believe in Jesus, He'll be your Savior. No, He is your Savior. He is your Savior. He died on the cross for you. He washed your sins away. He saved you. Now believe it. Believe it. Not that it might be true, but because it is true. You see the difference? The denominational world today says, believe this, that it might be true. I'm telling you to believe it because it is true. That's the difference. And it makes all the difference in the world. Because if you have to believe it, that it might be true, you have the potential to screw it up. <laughs> and that's why people continually are going to the altar praying the prayer, trying to believe in Jesus because they didn't believe they did it right the first time or the second time or the third time or the fourth time. What is that an evidence of? That's an evidence of the conundrum of works, faith-based salvation when it comes to our eternal home. You can never be, do it good enough. I'm going to let you in on that little secret. Because if you're trying to appease God through your faith, it's never going to be good enough. You'll always have that question, did I do it right? Because you know that you're such a sinner that it mars even your best intentions. Christ has saved us. Listen to this. Romans chapter 8, probably one of my, probably my favorite verse in all the Bible. I love this passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 and verse 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? What Paul is saying here is who can charge you with a crime? Who can lay on you a sin? And listen to this. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Those that he chose before the foundation of the world. 
And he doesn't break this down. He includes all of the elect. In all time, in all ages, who can lay anything to the charge of all of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Listen to this. Who is he that condemneth? Listen to this. It is you that have believed. It is you that have worked righteousness. Is that what the text says? Is that what the text says? What does the text say? It is Christ that died. Here's the evidence that you're not condemned. Here's the evidence that you're going to heaven. Here's the evidence that you've been delivered from the wrath of God. It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. The evidence that you are saved has nothing to do with you. The evidence that you are saved is that Christ died, He rose, and, 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 and He's seated at the right hand of God. And if you see that as necessary, if you see Christ only as the only one that could save you, that there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation, I've got news for you. You're a saved and blood-bought child of God. Because you've been blessed to see Jesus only. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came uh, to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him are crucified. I came to set before you Jesus only. That's what a preacher of the gospel does. He sets before God's people Jesus only and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech was not, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith, that your faith, should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. What is the power of God? It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the power that has taken your sins away. That's the power that has cleansed you fully and finally in the eyes of God. That's the power of God. I don't want your, your salvation to rest in, in, in some orchestrated sermon, <laughs> but in the power of God in Him crucified. So many people today rob Jesus of His glory. Yes, they are robbing Christ of His glory. Our salvation does not rest in sinful man. If it did, we had no need of Christ. They often portray Christ as simply something that you can utilize in order to save yourself. That's all Christ is to most people. He's just someone you can use to utilize, utilize to save yourself instead of someone that has actually saved us. 
Christ is our Savior. I want to end with this beautiful picture. Listen to this. Revelations chapter 5. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. This is a legal document and is believed to be the will of God. That's the work and the will of God. That's what this book, I believe this book is. It's a legal document. It's a will, so to speak. It says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. In a legal document, the only ones that can break the seals and open the seals are the ones to whom it is written. He says, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals, seven seals thereof. And behold, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the, all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. That's Jesus. Jesus and Jesus alone comes and takes the book him to whom it was written and he prevails to open the book and that is the record of God he and he alone is worthy and when he had taken the book the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors which are the prayers of the saints and they sung a new song saying thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God not will redeem us hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth praise God this morning I hope your eyes see Jesus only. One day, everyone in this world is going to behold Him. And their eyes are going to fix with precision upon Jesus and Jesus only. And there are going to be those who believe in this world that believe in the error that they can save themselves 
who are for the first time going to see the beautiful picture of Jesus and Jesus only. And what a day that'll be. We'll all come and we'll fall down. And we'll say, worthy is the Lamb. For thou hast redeemed us. Not made us redeemable. Not helped us get ourselves saved. You saved us when we were dead and trespasses and sin. When we were polluted in our own blood. You passed by someone who was utterly and totally incapable of saving themselves from the wrath that they right, rightly and justly deserved. You took us, you paid our sins, and you saved us from that which was rightfully ours. Praise be to your name. Jesus and Jesus only. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. May he keep you Cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. <clears throat>